And so today we're going to look at the final words that Jesus spoke. And those words are found in John chapter 19 and in verse 29. The Bible says a jar of sour wine was sitting there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch and held it up to his lips. And when Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and he released his spirit. It is finished. That's the very last words Jesus uttered from the cross. It is finished. How many of you heard those words before? It is finished. How many of you like those words? It is finished. So that was the last words. And once again, we want to look at the uh, and look at the significance and ask the question, what did Jesus mean when he said it is finished? What did he mean? I want to give you a, what I believe are a couple of um, possible meanings of Jesus' words. It is finished. How many of you know that when Jesus uttered those words, I mean, think about it. He's been, he's been scourged. He's been beaten so badly he's unrecognizable. He's been nailed to the cross. That bloody back is up against that old wooden splintered cross. He's been humiliated. He's been shamed. He's been ridiculed. He's been mocked. He's going through all this tremendous treatment of suffering. He's hanging there on the cross, been there for now six hours, has very little strength left in his body, yet he musters up enough energy to, to utter out, it is finished. What does that mean? Well, I believe, number one, when Jesus said, it is finished, he meant he had completed his father's purpose. In John chapter 4 and verse 34, Jesus said, my food, in other words, where I get my nourishment, where I get my strength for living, is to do what God wants. He is the one who sent me, and I must finish the work. Jesus had one goal his entire life. You know what that goal was? To do the Lord's work. To fulfill the Father's purpose. And you know what the thing about it is? Is he knew from the very beginning why the Father had put him on this, on this earth. He knew from the very beginning what the Father's purpose was for his life. And we see that. We, just, we see Jesus uh, exposing his knowledge of that. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 21, it says this. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised up from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. And what was Jesus saying? Jesus clearly knew it was God's purpose for him to be crucified in Jerusalem. And whenever Peter spoke up and he said, listen, I don't like the idea about that. I don't want you to be crucified. Jesus spoke up and said, no, you're going to be a trap to me if you try to talk me out of the Father's purpose. Get behind me. And so he consistently reminded his disciples, hey, 
Gang, this is why I'm here. In Matthew 20, verse 17, Jesus was going to Jerusalem. He took, up, he took the 12 disciples and he aside privately and he told them what was going to happen to him. Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed into the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die. Then they will hand him over to the Romans to be mocked, flogged with a whip and crucified. He is prophesying what is going to happen to him. But on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. Let's not forget that part. But on the third day, he'll be raised from the dead. So although he knew his father's purpose, how many of you know, it still wasn't an easy road for Jesus. Remember at Gethsemane, we see him agonizing, grieving, distressed over the cross that is before him. And the Bible says in Matthew 26, Jesus went up with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, here, sit here while I go over there to pray. And he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he began and he became anguished and distressed. And he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So he went on a little further and he bowed his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want what your will, I want your will to be done, not mine. And so although difficult as it was, Jesus knowing what was, what was ahead of him, he never shrunk back. He never gave up. He never tried to go around the Father's purpose. But he faced it willingly. And he surrendered to the Father's will. How many of you know that Jesus' life wasn't taken away from him? Jesus willingly gave his life to fulfill the Father's purpose. Amen. The Romans didn't crucify him. His love for the world crucified him. Amen. When Jesus said it is finished, he wasn't saying I'm finished. I'm defeated. I'm at the end. I'm lost. No. When Jesus said it is finished, he meant my job is done. My work is over. Jesus had fulfilled and accomplished the work which the father had sent him to accomplish. Amen. Point number two, or sub-point number two. Let me make a personal application here. There is no higher level of living than living for the purpose of God. How many of you know that? There's no higher level of living. When you live for the Father's purpose, you're going to tap into the greater level of living that you will ever experience. Say, well, I don't believe that. Well, you believe what you want. But I believe that the highest level of living is living for the purpose and the will of God. Do I have anybody in agreement with me today? Yes. So listen, Jesus said in John chapter four and verse 34, Jesus said, my food, in other words, where I get my nourishment, where I get excited about life at, where I get my strength for living is to do what God wants. Jesus found great nourishment. He found great energy, excitement, enthusiasm. Do you know there's a lot of people walking on the globe today that can't stand their life? They can't stand living their life. They're unhappy. They're trying every which way to try to find happiness. Let me tell you, it's right here. It's right here in this principle and this point. Let me clue you into something very important. There is no better way to live your life than to live it for Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. There is nothing. Listen, part of my testimony was my search for significance, my search for reason, my search for meaning, for fulfillment. See, I had, I had already lived a lot of years in, 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 
in, in drugs and I, I had tried relationships. I tried material things, pleasure. I had tried what the world had to offer and I kept coming to the end of it. I kept coming empty handed. Come on. How many of you can relate to what I'm talking about? And my question was, there's got to be more to life than this. And I found out there was. Because one day I heard the gospel. In the gospel, I found out about how God loves me. And God has a perfect plan and purpose for my life. And if I would simply surrender to his will, his purpose and his plan, I would tap into life that I've never dreamed would be possible. And I can tell you that happened 28 years ago. And I haven't reached the end of that great, fulfilled, exciting, blessed life yet. Amen. And so I don't know where you are today, but I want to encourage you. Listen, a relationship won't do it. Your money filled with your, your pocket filled with money. Everything the world has to offer won't satisfy your life. Doing the will of God will. Jesus said, the thief come to kill, steal and destroy. But I've come that you might have a full life, a fulfilled life, a blessed life. Amen. And let me just say, it's not Jesus didn't say the thief comes to kill, steal and destroy. And I've come that you might have life if you will just go to church. That's not what he said. And somehow in the, in the craziness of, of religion and Christianity and all that, somewhere we've dreamed that if I just show up to church, it's going to do it. And I say a thousand times, no, that's not it. That's not it. Pastor Brad prophesied it a while ago. When you surrender to worship the living God to do what God wants you to do, that's where it happens. Amen. Don't you think that should be everybody's Everybody and every ambition of every believer on the globe to do what God wants them to do. You know, listen to this Acts 13, 36. David had served God's purpose in his own generation. He fell asleep and he was buried with his fathers and his body decayed. Wow, what an epitaph. What, what, a, what a saying to put on a, a gravestone. He or she served the purpose of God in his own generation and then fell asleep. Hey, I don't know where you are today. I know where some of you are. But I don't know where all of you are. But I can tell you, if you will surrender your life to Christ, not just go to church. You know, it's there's a difference between going to church and surrendering to the Lord. I'm talking about giving over control over your life. If you will do that, that's the highest level of living that you could ever tap into. Amen. Point number two. I think when Jesus said it is finished, he meant he had officially conquered sin and death. He'd officially conquered it. I think he was saying, I've broken the grip and the power of sin off of people's lives. In Romans 5, 17, it says, for the sin of this one man, Adam caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful gift and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. And so I believe when Jesus said it is finished, he was declaring, no longer does humanity have to live under the bondage and slavery of sin. Through God's wonderful gift of salvation, grace can be received and you can be set free from the hole and the clutches and the grip of sin in this world. Amen. Now you say, how does that apply? Let me, let me kind of, let me kind of bring it down to, uh, to brass tacks here. When Jesus said it is finished, 
I believe he said, I'm breaking the power of sin over somebody's life, which means if you're struggling with an addiction to drugs, drinking, gambling, cutting, purging, or any self-destructive behavior, you need to know you can be set free through the power of God. If you're struggling with anger, hatred, a violent temper, uncontrollable rage, you need to know that you can be set free through the power and the anointing of God. If you're struggling with sexual bondage like immorality, adultery, lust, fornication, or any other sexual sin, you need to know that you can be set free through the power of God. If you're struggling with lying, cheating, stealing, you need to know every sin's grip and power can be broken off your life. When Jesus said it is finished, he took, he brought an end to sin's control and power over this world. Amen. Jesus died to set us free from any and every sin known to man. Listen to this verse, Romans 6.14. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. You know, sometimes I'm reluctant to share my life, my story, because I think, well, people are going to say, man, this dude's crazy. He's a wacko. Which is true. I'm whacked out for Jesus. Amen. Yes, amen. But listen, let, let me just be, let me just kind of just talk to you. Let me just talk to you. See, I know that you got the same material I'm made out of. And that what I struggle with, you struggle with. And we can put on a good front and all that, but we struggle with sin. And I remember whenever I was, um, whenever I first got saved, you know, I've told you, I haven't been, you know, quiet about it. Started doing drugs, smoking pot when I was 11 years old. I came to Jesus when I was 22, half my life. Now, that's terrible. After I gave my life to Christ, I thought, whew, praise God. I'm done. No, I wasn't done. I wasn't done. I didn't want to smoke pot. Pot had me. Even though I didn't want to do it, I did it. Come on, can you relate to that? Some people, even though they don't want to lie, they lie. Even though they don't want to cheat, they cheat. Even though they don't want to be in bondage, they're in bondage. I understand. How many of you understand? And see, so at one point in my life, I thought, well, this must be my lot in life. I guess not even Christianity can even help me. I'm so messed up. I thought I was messed up beyond the, the reach of the grace of God. But I then came across a verse in the Bible that helped me. And it's this verse right here, Romans 6, 14. For sin shall not be your master, because you're not under law but under grace. Sin shall not be your master. That puts strength in my spine. I want to tell you today, sin does not have to be our master. Satan was trying to get me to believe it was hopeless, but God's truth prevailed. If sin shall not be my master, then sin shall not be my master. Amen? It's God's amazing grace that can break the power of sin off your life. Grace is now available. Listen, I was talking to a, a funeral home director a couple months ago. And we were just talking and 
And uh, on, they had two bodies in the funeral home, both young people. Both lives cut short because of addictions. And he was saying, he said, Todd, you know, we used to do, we used to have the elderly that we buried. He said, not so much anymore. He said, they're getting younger and younger. As we talked about that, sin is killing people. It's cutting people's life short. It's ruining people's lives. It's breaking up marriages. It's causing great havoc in the land. And Jesus wants us to know that sin's power has been stripped. And that regardless of what Satan or his demons might be telling you, I want you to know that God's grace is greater than the most powerful sin known to man. And you can be set free from the power and the master of sin. Amen. Romans 6.10 says, yes, when Christ died, he died to defeat the power of sin one time. Enough for all time. He now has a new life and his new life is with God. Jesus finished the work. Amen. Verse 11 says, in the same way, you should see yourselves as being dead to the power of sin and alive with God through Christ Jesus. Amen. And so listen, we need to get a vision that is as much. It doesn't matter if you've been in the same pattern and in the same hoe for 50 years. Hey, they might have told you that that's the way of life for the Boudreaux or the Cummos or, or whoever last name you have. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus said there's freedom in the power of the grace of God. Amen. How many of you agree with that? Say amen. Amen. Now, why did I take all that time to say that? I know there's somebody in here that's probably sitting exactly where I sat one day. And thought, I'll never get free. Point number three. I think when Jesus said it is finished, he was declaring he had defeated the devil once and for all. Listen, when Jesus died, from a human standpoint, you know, you could say it seemed like he was defeated. And Satan had won. I mean, look at how he was treated. You know, why did he have to go through that? And so, you know, I'm sure all the religious leaders, man, we're about to be done with this dreamer, this person that's calling himself king of the Jews, the savior. We're about to be done. I mean, we can see life slipping away. He's about to give his last gas and it is over. I'm sure Satan thought, men, it's, we're just seconds away from the victory. He will be finished and we'll be done forever. But Satan was sadly mistaken, wasn't he? He was sadly mistaken because three days later, they tried to keep him in that grave, but they couldn't. That stepping old stone they rolled in the front, an angel came and said, and them guards standing there, the power of God hit them. Boop, they're on the ground. And Jesus walked out and said, ah, ooh, it's a nice day. It's a nice day. And so they came to the tomb. Jesus was missing. Have you found Jesus? He's gone. And they said, oh, listen, we gotta, we can't allow this message to get out. We gotta try to keep this hush. We gotta try to, let's just tell them somebody came and stole his body. We definitely don't want anybody to think he was resurrected. And all of a sudden, I think the enemy started shaking in his boots if he's got some. Right? 
Because what he thought was done was not done. And so when Jesus said it is finished, he wasn't talking about I'm done. I'm finished. No, the work is done. The fulfillment of what I needed to do is done. And the Bible says in Colossians 2.15, God stripped the spiritual rulers and powers of their authority. With the cross, he won the victory. And he showed the world that they were powerless. When Jesus died on the cross, Jesus stripped the devil and his demons of their power and authority over your life. That's important to know. Amen. You know, because even church-going people, you talk about, you say the word demons and they don't say that word. He might hear you. And there's this great fear. But how many of you know you no longer have to be ruled and held by darkness anymore? You know, I can tell you, I'm sharing my heart with you, but I used to be, man, you'd say, oh, did you hear there was some satanic worshipers in town? And oh, oh, no. And there's this great fear. Well, let me tell you, Jesus, your elder brother, he wouldn't take care of that for you. Amen. Colossians 1.13, God has freed us from the power of darkness and he brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. Now, listen, I'm not talking about we should get cocky. I'm not talking about us getting spiritually arrogant. And so I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to beat up the devil. No, he's going to take your clothes off of you, send you away naked. So I'm not talking about that, but spiritually speaking, we need to realize that Jesus, when he said it is finished, he died on the cross and he stripped the enemy of his power and his authority over our life. And the Bible says in Luke 4 and verse 18, Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of the sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, the year of the Lord's favor. What does that mean? What does that say? You see, the Bible says whenever you're lost, you're not a Christian. You are under the control and the influence of Satan. But whenever you become a Christian, you get set free from the oppression of the enemy. The Bible says that we are delivered from the kingdom of darkness. Amen. We are set free from the oppression of the enemy. How does that happen? When Jesus died on the cross, he stripped the enemy of his power. But listen, not only has Jesus delivered us from Satan's power, but number two, Jesus has given us authority over Satan's kingdom. He's given us authority over Satan's kingdom. Now, listen, if you're going to be a, a believer that lives in victory, you need to know this. You need to know that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You need to know that the devil and all his demons is no match to Jesus Christ. Amen. And whenever you surrender and give your life to Christ and you get on his team, you are on the team that wins that has superiority of spiritual authority and power. Amen? And not only that, but not only did he deliver you from the grip of Satan's power, but number two, he's given you power over Satan's kingdom. Luke ten seventeen. when the 72 followers came back from their trip, they were very happy. They said, Lord, even the demons obeyed us when we used your name. And Jesus said to them, I saw Satan falling like lightning from the sky. He is the enemy. 
But know that I've given you more power than he has. Let me read that again. But know that I have given you more power than he has. I have given you power to crush his snakes and scorpions under your feet. Nothing will hurt you. So Jesus not only stripped Satan of his power to rule over our life, he's also anointed us and empowered us to do damage to the kingdom of darkness. Amen. Come on, are y'all with me? Do you know you have spiritual authority to change an environment? You have spiritual power and authority to change the spiritual oppression of a geographical location. Why? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen. Come on, are y'all with me today? We need to know the authority that we have. Not in us, not in our name, but in the name which is above every name. In the name of Jesus. That's why Jesus said, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He said, behold, I've given you the keys of the kingdom. The keys to the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Listen, we need to rise up in the power and the authority of the name of Jesus Christ. Not so to come and bow down to the oppression of the enemy, but let the anointing of God that is on the inside of us rise up on the inside of us and do the warfare that God has called us to do. Amen. Come on. If you agree, say amen. 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 Now listen, I remember the first time I, I learned, you know, that this, this principle and uh, we were having a time of prayer and fasting. Some of you heard this story. I love to tell it. Because it's a great story. You know, it was after, after the fact, it's a great story. But, uh, we were having a prayer meeting and, uh, I was doing a Saturday night, I mean, a weeknight prayer meeting. We'd finished the prayer meeting. Everybody had gone home. I was kind of the last one left and, and we were in the old sanctuary. And as I was walking to my car, this car comes squealing in, you know, like on two wheels and the gravel's flying everywhere. And, and man, and they stopped, you know, put the brakes on and their eyes are that big. So can I help you? Yeah, we're looking for some holy water. I said, I said, well, I don't have any holy water, but God just gave me a quick and mess, you know, answer. And I said, I got a holy Bible. And they said, well, that'll do. We need some help. I said, well, what's going on? They said, well, we live in this, uh, this trailer park and our trailer is haunted. We hear doors clanging and, and a couple of our kids have seen somebody walking in the hallway. And it's haunted. And, and we're scared. We, we can't live in there anymore. And so we're thinking maybe if we bring, put some holy water in there, that maybe it's going to help. Maybe it's going to relieve us. I said, well, listen, I don't have any holy water, but I'll be glad to grab my holy Bible and go over there to your house and we'll do business. And they said, come on, <laughs> come on. Well, I had no idea. I got there and the whole neighborhood knew what was going on. And everybody's eyes were that big. It was a setup of God. Amen. And so listen, so I walked in and I wasn't scared. I had been delivered from scared. Amen. I had been delivered. I found out who I was in Jesus. Amen. And, and I was fasting. So I was ready to go bear hunting with a switch. Come on. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And so, I mean, listen, I walked in and the mobile home is packed with people. I mean, they're like sardines in there. In fact, I'm not kidding. They had so many people, they couldn't fit them all in there. They had the doors open, people, put, you know, put, I'm not kidding. And so, man, and, and again, the Lord just helped me and said, oh, Todd, this is a great opportunity. 
So I said, now listen, God has given us power and authority over all demons and all darkness. Satan has been defeated at the cross. It is finished. Well, listen, before I pray and ask that evil spirit to leave this place, I don't know where he's going to go. And so I'd hate for him to jump on one of you. <laughs> so you, we need to get do business with God. You need to give your life to Christ. And I had an altar call right there. And I had 100% participation. Yeah. And so we prayed, asked Jesus to forgive our sins. And then I had, I just, I just went in the house and in the name of Jesus, the name above every name. I declared every demon spirit of hell that was tormenting these people. It's power to be broken and to leave that house. We prayed a prayer. I had some all with me. I anointed the doors, anointed heads, anything and everything. And we prayed and said amen. And we, I went home. Well, next thing you know, that couple showed up at church. They showed up, and that's the first wedding I ever did was their wedding. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I haven't always known spiritual authority. And again, let me just say, this is not something to get arrogant about. Because how many of you know the adversary is skilled in what he does? And so we don't need to get you know, half-cocked and think we, born a fife, going to rescue the world. Amen? But I tell you what, one thing we should do is know who we are in Jesus Christ. Amen? And when depression tries to come and lay on our head, we don't lay down and say, I'm helpless. We need to rise up in the authority of the name of Jesus and say, I break all oppression off my life. I'm not going to live under the oppression of the enemy. I'm going to live in the joy of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Point number four. I think when Jesus said it is finished, he meant he opened the way to all the father's resources and provisions. When Jesus died on the cross, the scripture gives us an important detail. In Matthew chapter 27 and in verse 50, it says, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and he yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, the scripture tells us that the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, that veil, according to biblical history, wasn't like a little thin sheet. It was a very thick veil. That was impossible for man to be able to tear. There was no way that man could have just went up and tore that veil. But when Jesus breathed his life, whenever he said it is finished, he died on the cross. The veil was torn from top to bottom. That was supernatural. It was supernatural. Now, what was the significance? Why does the scripture give us the significance of the fact that the veil was torn in two from top to bottom? Well, I believe the veil torn in two means three things. Number one that we all have access to the resources of God. We all have we all have access. Listen, you know, in the temple the veil separated the holy place from the holy of holies. They had the outer court, the inner court, and then the holy of holies. So like the foyer would be the outer court, the sanctuary would be the 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 holy place, and then there was a veil, and then there was the holy of holies. 
You could come into the outer court. You could come into the holy place, but you could come. You could not come into the holy of holies. Only the high priest could come in once a year. They would tie a cord to his ankle because if he hadn't significantly or, or adequately uh, purified himself, as soon as he would get in the presence of God, he would die and nobody wanted to go in to get him because they would die too. So they would pull him out. But when Jesus died, that veil was torn in two. Now you can imagine the reaction of the people. Wait a minute. I see it's torn. I ain't going there. I ain't going there. But you see, up to that point, they had to do animal sacrifices because the blood of Jesus hadn't been shed yet. But after Jesus died, the blood of Jesus was sprinkled on the mercy seat in the heavenly court. And that was satisfied. The atonement was satisfied. And now, not only could the high priest come, but anybody could come into the Holy of Holies. Amen. Amen. But now, whenever you went into the Holy of Holies, the Bible tells us there were there were really four things in there. The first, there was a jar of manna. Remember when God provided manna in the wilderness, they put manna in the jar, and it was a reminder God provides in the wilderness. But there was also the Ark of the Covenant, which was the wooden box, which contained the tablets of stones, the, the Ten Commandments. But then there was also the rod of Aaron. Remember, the, there was the rods that were put in one budded. It was the rod of Aaron, which signifies God's authority, God's blessing, God's hand. And as I was studying this, I just believe that these four artifacts represents the Lord's resources and provision. And the jar of manna was the food that the Lord fed the children of Israel while they were in the wilderness. And when Jesus said it is finished and the veil was torn in two, I believe it represented that now anybody and everybody had access to the supernatural provision of God. Are y'all with me? Because what he was saying was, listen, now just not just the high priest can come in, everybody can come in. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.14, so then since we have a high priest who has entered into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. The high priest of ours understands our weakness, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet did not sin. For let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, that we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So when the veil was torn, I believe it represents that the way was made. Jesus opened up to us the Father's resources. Just like he provides for the children, he provided for the children in the wilderness God will provide for you and I. Amen. The apostle Paul came to the revelation in Philippians 4.19. My God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches, which are in Christ Jesus. Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way. Give me this day my daily bread. What is the daily bread? The daily bread is the daily resources that we need to survive in life. Can I tell you something? You don't have to have a priest go to God for you. You can go to God. You don't have to have Pastor Todd ask God to bless you and provide for you. You are a most holy priest, a royal priesthood in the house of God, and you can go directly to him. You don't have to wait for anybody else to go. You can come boldly. Come on. Isn't that great? The resources of God. Praise the Lord. Amen. The Lord is our provider. Amen. But listen, I believe the veil being torn also means we have access to the presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant represented the blessing and the presence of God. The Holy of Holies. It was the presence of God that was in there. 
But if you got in the presence of God and you weren't right, you died. You see, some people are uncomfortable with the presence of God. Because it exposes. It reveals. Even though nobody says anything, the Holy Spirit on the conscience of man, the Holy Spirit's conviction on the heart of man will expose something that nobody else may know. But the purpose of it was to bring purification so that we could come into the presence of God. When Jesus died, shed his blood, it covers sin for all time. Amen. And every sin we've ever committed, when we come into salvation, our sins are forgiven. Now we can come into the presence of God. And the Ark of the Covenant represents the blessing and the presence of God. Remember after the temple was built, the Old Testament temple, after it was built, one of the very last things they did, the very last thing they did was they brought the Ark of the Covenant into the temple. And when they brought the Ark of the Covenant into the temple and put it in its place, then they brought the Levites, they brought the singers, and they started worshiping God. And let, let me read it to you because it's really pretty cool to just see. Second Chronicles 5.13 says, The trumpeters and the singers performed together in unison to praise and give thanks to the Lord, accompanied by trumpet, cymbals, and other instruments. They raised their voices and praised the Lord with these words. He is good. His faithful love endures forever. At the moment, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. The priests could not continue their service because of the cloud, for the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple of God. That was the Shekinah glory of God. And it came into the temple and it was connected to the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant represents the presence of God. And when the temple was rent, this signified the fact that we don't have to live without God's presence any longer. When Jesus said, it's important that I go, I must send the Holy Spirit. He knew that the temple would be rent. Listen, up to that point, the presence of God was very limited. But after Jesus died, oh my Lord, we can all experience the cloud of God's presence. We can all experience the Shekinah glory of God, the touch of God, the grace of God. Oh, the presence of God. There is nothing like it. It's stress-free atmosphere. When you are in the presence of God, the Bible says the presence of God melts mountains. Burdens are broken. In the presence of God is the fullness of joy. You cannot live in the stress when you're in the presence because the presence drives out all stress. Amen? Acts 2.28 says, You have shown me the way of life. And you will fill me with the joy of your presence. God's presence is awesome. God's presence is awesome. But listen, you know the amazing thing? They have a lot of people that love Jesus. They love Jesus with all their heart. They study the Bible like nobody you would ever meet. But they keep tying up that, that veil. They keep going all the way up to the presence of God. And then they get scared and they back off. And I believe when Jesus says it is finished, he's saying, man, listen, you need to get on up there in the Holy of Holies. Because that's not just where my presence is. It's also where my blessing is. Amen. How many of you know the ark also represented the blessing of God? The Bible tells us that Obadad Edom. He had the ark of the covenant in his possession for a time. Remember that? And the Bible says as long as Obadad Edom 
had the Ark of the Covenant in his possession, everything about him prospered. Everything about him blessed. God blessed. And this is, this is the picture. When you got the presence of God in your house, you're going to have a blessed house. When you got the presence of God in your life, your life is going to be blessed. That's why we don't need to be flirting around with the world and just jeopardize losing the anointing of God on our life like Samson did whenever he cut his hair. Amen. Are y'all with me out there? The Bible says in 2 Samuel 6, 11, the ark of the Lord remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. God's presence represents God's hand of favor, God's hand of blessing. And you know what the thing about it is? We all can live in the presence of God. When Jesus said, it is finished, that veil was rent. And so now you don't have to be a high priest. In fact, the Lord said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. All of you, my children, I call you a royal priesthood, a holy nation. In other words, he's saying, I've just anointed you as all high priests. You all come. You know, it's kind of like the father, like the parents saying, no, only a certain children can come here into the table in the kitchen and eat. And the Lord said, oh, no, I want everybody at my table. I want everybody to partake of my blessings and my provision. Amen. Are y'all with me? How many of you glad? He said, it is finished. It is finished. Amen. Amen. When Jesus said it is finished, my friends, it was, it had great significance. If you are a child of God, if you're saved, if you're born again, man, what a blessing that is. What a blessing it is to know that you have authority that you can have victory, that you can have favor, that you can have blessings on your life. Not because we're anybody special, but because Jesus is so special. And because we are in Jesus, now we get to partake of the blessings of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me? How many of you are grateful today that the veil is rent? Come on, just open up your heart right now and just thank God for, for his death. Come on, some of you need the presence of God on your life. You, you love Jesus. You just stressed. You love Jesus. You just need his presence. You just need to be reminded that you don't have to live in the mully grub. Come on, Jesus fulfilled his purpose so you could fulfill yours. The Lord has a purpose for your life. He's got a plan for your life. You don't have to live empty. You don't have to live a life that is unfulfilled. You can live a full life. You can live a blessed life because Jesus made sure to take care of everything he needed to take care of to make that possible for you. You know, the very last thing that I believe the veil being rent reminds us of is that we all have access to the provisions of God, to the presence of God. But most importantly, 
to the salvation of God. Remember, it was only the high priest that could come where God's presence were. Everybody else had to serve God from a distance. Can I tell you, you don't have to serve God from a distance anymore. You don't have to stay outside and let only the pastors or or, or priests or certain clergy. Come on, you could come in. You could come in. You could be born again. You could be saved. You can experience the provisions and the blessings of God. When Jesus tore that veil, he's saying, listen, I want the whole place to be the holy place. I want the whole place to be the place where my presence is. And I don't know where you are today spiritually, but I'm here to encourage you to tell you, you don't have to live outside the favor of God anymore. You could come boldly to the place of provision. Amen. And if you say, Todd, that's me. I want to be saved. I want to be born again while everybody else is just praying right now, praying for you that you just by faith receive that gift of salvation. I want to give you a moment to just respond to the touch of God. If you say, Todd, pray for me. I don't know for sure that I'm saved, that I'm a Christian, that I have access, but I want to know for sure. Pray for me, Todd. Just raise your hand right now so I can see your hand. Oh, come on. Just pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I've sinned against you. But Lord Jesus, I thank you for dying for me. Thank you for shedding your blood for me. Lord Jesus, I know I've sinned. But I know you are a God of forgiveness. And I'm asking you to forgive me for all my sins. Lord Jesus, I choose to do your will and not my will. Come on, say that again. Lord Jesus, I choose to do your will and not my will. I surrender to your purpose. And I thank you for allowing me the privilege of being in your family. Thank you, Jesus, for accepting me, for filling me, and making your kingdom accessible. To me in Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Amen. Amen.